Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power, and here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the program again today. We are delighted to have your company. And we are working through this beautiful book by Pastor Dennis Smith, 50 Days Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Return. We are in the closing chapters and we're looking at a beautiful message of mercy and of love that God has sent the last church, that is the seventh church that we find in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. But just before we start in that message, we just ask God to bless us and we just invite you to join us in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for having given us this ability to have access to your throne through Jesus Christ, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, and also our mediator. Father, this morning we just want to dedicate this program and our lives to you afresh, and we just pray for a fresh anointing of of your Holy Spirit upon us. Give us understanding and wisdom regarding spiritual matters, and lead us into all truth is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the moment, we are at the sharp end of our discussions regarding God's plan for his church. And there's a message that is sent to the church of the latest scenes. And it is a message that is to revive and reform them and to bring them out of lethargy, to take them away from that business as usual approach, to give them the unction of the Holy Spirit. So it's almost like fire within their bones. It's it's like a message in their heart that they cannot keep to themselves and need to share it with others. But to do that, we need personal revival and reformation. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need to understand a few things so that we can intelligently choose to accept the message that God has given us so that he can do his work in and through us. And it says there in that message, as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens. So, Colin, I wonder if you can just summarize that message of warning that's come to us through what we have called or labeled the Amiga of apostasy. Yeah, well, 100 years ago, uh, Ellen White, who was a messenger, had 2,000 visions, and she wrote about this Alpha and Omega apostasy, Mm. Alpha in her day. And the ultimate goal, though, was of, of that alpha apostasy was to lead God's people away from their mission uh, and their message. Mm. And it was to lead people away from giving the three angels message, which leads to obedience to God's commandments. And we spoke about in our last program how Satan you know, knows that the Apostle Paul wrote about being victorious over sin. You know, In the whole book of uh, Romans chapter 6, it's yes. about victory over sin mm. through Christ and his righteousness. And we also know um, that in the book of Revelations that Satan has gone to make war on those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Jesus yes. And he knows that they'll be commandment-keeping people. You read that in Revelations 12, verse 17, and chapter 14, verse 12. Mm. He also knows, you notice in many verses in the book of Revelation, that Jesus gives these wonderful promises to those who overcome sin in their lives. Mm. There's a promise Many promises in Revelation chapter 2, of verse 7, verse 11, verse 17, verse 26, chapter 3, verse 5, chapter 3, verse 12, and chapter 3, verse 21. It's interesting that there's a couple of common denominators that you find in each of the messages to the seven churches. So seven messages to seven churches. The one is God, Jesus Christ, 
concludes the message is always with the words to he who overcomes. And then there's a promise given to those. Yes. But the way he opens those messages every time is, I know your works. So he measures their relationship to him by the output. That's that right. is an evidence for their faith, and if the faith is lacking, obviously the works are lacking as well. That's right. And James spoke about that, Daniel. Mm. You know, faith right. without works, you know, mm. is dead. And so, you know, knowing this, right, it would be expected that Satan would work hard at undermining obedience to God's Ten Commandments, especially in these last days. Now, we looked at he's constantly works to lead men and women to disobey God's commandments. And we also know that he could not cause seven-day Adventists to outright reject the Ten Commandments, yeah. even though many other churches have rejected the Ten Commandments or the law has been done away with, or in some churches it's been changed. The Fourth Commandment mm. has been changed. Mm. And so so we know he, couldn't, uh, he can't lead, for example, the seven-day Adventist church to reject the Ten Commandments and say they're no longer valid. Instead, he is... He is and is using a more deceptive manner to lead individuals to disregard them. He deceives God's people into believing it's impossible to fully obey them. And this is what the Omega Posse Ellen White warned about and the church faces today. And it makes its, its posse is making its known in many different ways. And some of them seem a blessing. They seem actually a blessing. Mm. He used the same lure he used with Eve in the garden to lure of a higher experience that is void of any focus on absolute obedience to God's commandments. And, I, and it's interesting in Desire of Ages, page 24, and the Great Controversy, page 582, Ellen White talks about Satan's efforts in the past and present to ris- misrepresent God's law. She wrote, Satan represents God's law of love as a law of selfishness. He declares that it's impossible for us to obey its precepts. Mm. And again, in the Great Controversy, page 582, she says, from the very beginning of the great controversy in heaven, it has been Satan's purpose to overthrow the law of God. It was to accomplish this, that he entered upon a rebellion against the Creator. And though he was cast out of heaven, he has continued the same warfare upon earth. And we read that in the Bible, didn't we, in Revelation chapter 12. He's making war on those who keep the commandments of God. That's the yes. war. That's the war, what its issues are about. That's right. And then we looked at Jesus and how he came to this planet Earth because of Satan's accusations mm. to prove his lie, that he's lying about God's law being wrong or can't be kept. Mm. And Jesus was made of a woman in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and he perfectly kept God's law, obeying from the heart every precept. Mm. And then Jesus, we read in Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 23, that Jesus has left us an example to follow in his footsteps. Yes who did not sin, neither guy was found in his mouth. And so, and we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that Christ proved Satan wrong in his lying claim that God's law cannot be kept. And Christ did more than that, but he vindicated God's law by his perfect sinless life. He also provided God's people a righteousness, a sanctification, a redemption, which can be ours through faith. Mm, amen. So that was a bit of a summary of what we did last time. Mm. Satan is making war on those who who keep the commandments of God. There's many people in the church saying they cannot be kept and sin cannot be overcome. Yes, that's true. That's a good summary. And and so so we want to see today, we're going to talk about how God uses his church to vindicate God and prove Satan wrong. Mm. So God used Jesus, and now he's going to use his church. Yeah. And it seems like an impossibility. Yes, it does. But, you know, remember we talked about that 
what is impossible for man it's is possible, possible with God. God. Amen. So it was not only through Christ, but also through the church that God purposed to prove Satan's accusations about God's law being wrong. It is through the church that God and his law are to be vindicated as God's people by faith. And I want you to emphasize that part. Mm. It's vindicated as God's people by faith allow Christ to live out his perfect obedience to God's law in and through them. Mm. That's the how. And we Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Let's just read that what it says. Okay, and it says there, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in the NIV, it has it a different way. It says his intent, so God's intent, mm. was that now through yeah. the church, yes, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms mm. according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so according to Paul, before Jesus returns, the wisdom of God must be made known or manifest in his church. Yes. And his church is his people. Mm. And this wisdom of God was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And it's to be seen or manifest through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. This is the church's primary purpose or mission on earth. This is the intent of mm. God through the church. So, you know, a vital question is, what is the wisdom of God that was accomplished in Christ? Mm. It's a good question, isn't it? Yes, it is a good question. Now, Paul answers it in the first letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29 and 31. Let's read that again. And... Uh, Okay, so this is from the NIV this time. It says, So that no one may boast before him, it is because of him, that is the Father, that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, which is another word for sanctification, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So you see, the wisdom of God is the righteousness, sanctification, which is holiness. Yes. And redemption that Christ provided for his people. Mm. And this wisdom of God will be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. How? As the church experiences Christ's perfect obedience to God's law in their lives to the fullest extent. Mm. And that wisdom is Christ's righteousness. That wisdom is Christ's holiness. And that wisdom is Christ's sanctification and redemption from sin. Mm. Law-breaking. Because First John chapter three verse four, what does it say? First John chapter three verse four gives us a definition of what sin is in the Bible. Yes, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now the King James says, "Whoever commits sin also transgresseth the law, and sin is transgression of the law." So sin is a transgression of God's law, hmm. and the wisdom that is Christ's righteousness, holiness, and sanctification and redemption from from sin, or Law-breaking, it's the same thing. And it is when God's wisdom is fully manifest in this manner in the church that his people have come out of their latest seeing condition. Hmm. Obey God's commandments to the fullest and be ready for Christ's return. And Eddie, this is why Satan works so hard to propagate the Omega Posse teaching that God's law cannot be kept and God's people cannot live a life of victory over sin. You've heard it, I've heard it. Yes, 
We've heard it from many people and many books that are written as saying that God's law cannot be kept and God's people cannot live a life of victory over sin because why? Because it's impossible. Mm. They're saying it's impossible because of our sinful nature. Yeah, and when Jesus had to deal with the same issue when he spoke about how high the standard was for salvation, his, his disciples said to him, well, if that is the case, who then can be saved? And we read very clearly, Jesus says, with men this is impossible, but with God this is not impossible. All things are possible That's for right. God. And you know, in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, uh, Paul quotes a promise from the Old Testament where God himself says, I will write my laws on your mind and on your heart. Mm. That's in Hebrews chapter 10 and 8. So God himself will write his laws, and it says through the Holy Spirit, on our mind and heart, and give us a desire to obey his law. Yes. It's written on our heart. And this is why Satan works so hard to, to cause God's people to believe that we cannot live a life of victory over sin. And those who accept this omega posse will never fully fulfill God's purpose for them, nor be ready for Christ's second coming. Mm. They're foolish virgins. Yes. Spoken in Matthew chapter 25. Now, Ellen White clearly understood the purpose of the church or the purpose for which God called the church into existence. She knew it was essential for God's people to be an obedient people. For if they are not, they are actually vindicating Satan's accusation against God's law. Mm. Now, I'm going to read this quote from the, it's called From the Southern Review, and it was written in December 5, 1899. And she says this. Exact obedience is required, and those who say it is not possible to live a perfect life throw upon God the imputation of injustice and untruth. Wow. Mm. That's a pretty heavy statement. Uh, She's saying those who say you can't do it are throwing upon God the imputation of injustice and untruth. And, you know, there's many seven-day Adventists today who, along with many other Christians, say it's impossible to live a victorious life over sin. Yes. You know, Eddie, when we look at our own lives, it does seem impossible, doesn't it? Yes, it does. You know, I'll admit that. Mm. It seems impossible from a human point of view. Well, Colin, if I could do it, why would I need faith? I don't need faith for a power outside of myself. I'll just go and do it. But the fact that it's impossible shows us that we need faith. We need faith in a higher power, and that is the power that God offers us um, through the Holy Spirit so that Christ can be formed in us, our hope of glory, so Christ can live in us and he can live his life out through us. What we need to do is get out of the way and actually believe God. I think this thing, when you make statements like that, contrary to the word of God, is actually a statement of unbelief. And the Bible is very clear that he, uh, whatever is not of faith is sin. And without faith, Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So these faithless statements are actually things that are contrary to God's word, and they are things that actually displease God. And you, but you can understand, though, why people would go down that road. Yes, from a, from a human subjective perspective, you can. But the whole issue with the Bible is that we inherited by default a, a nature that is uh, one of unbelief. Adam and Eve chose to go contrary to the word of God. In other words, they practiced unbelief, and that what, that's what caused them to sin. Their actions demonstrated their unbelief. They didn't believe God, did they? That's right. What he said. They demonstrated their unbelief. Now, we have people like Noah. He goes to build the ark. Now, what does the ark demonstrate? His faith that God is going to destroy the earth with a flood, and the only way he will be saved is through building that ark. He spends 120 years doing it. Was there any evidence? Was he saved by his works, or was he saved by his faith? Was there any, or by his faith? Was because there any evidence, though? That there was a flood coming? 
Never seen flood, never even seen rain. So scientifically, he couldn't prove the fact. The only thing he could go by is by what the word of God says. By God's word. Hmm. Abraham as well. God says to Abraham, go out and I will give you all these blessings. And he mentions quite a few. I think it's about five or six blessings. And nations will be blessed through your seed. That's right. Now, Abraham didn't know where he was going. But if he hadn't gone out, if he didn't leave Haran, if he didn't leave Ur before that, would that have demonstrated his faith if he just stayed put, said, yes, all I believe? No. His, his work would have demonstrated his unbelief. Mm. So our works also demonstrate whether we believe God or not. When God says he's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, do we believe that? And if we do, our works will demonstrate our faith as well. But it undoes what what was done through Adam and Eve to us, and it's undone through Jesus Christ. So it- we mightn't realize it, but if we're actually we're actually agreeing with Satan, you know, and imputing to God injustice and falsehood, if we agree that it can't be done, yes, yeah, we're actually agreeing with him and saying it can't Look, be done. Yeah, you're calling a spade well, a spade now, Colin, and I I agree with you. I mean, if 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 I'm wrong, I don't want to hear it. But that, those are the bare facts. That's bare facts. Mm. But you know, and I I I, we got, I just throw mercy, and I understand that because I used to believe that. Right. The only reason I believe it now is I just believe in God, what mm. he says he can do, even though it sounds impossible. So you can sympathize with that point of view. I can sympathize with that point of view because mm. when we look in our own lives, you know, you can see that this seems impossible. Mm. But as we look through the whole Bible, we see that God does the impossible mm. and makes it possible. So why not can he not change our hearts, write his laws on our hearts, and Christ can live in us and live out his life in and through us yes. through the daily baptism mm. of the Holy Spirit and obey God's law yeah. and, vindic- and vindicate God. Absolutely. God, God yeah, what he said yeah. could be done. Yeah. And, and, and I love this. Um, and unfortunately, as long as the church has this attitude that living a victorious life over sin is not possible, she will not come out of her latest sin condition. Mm. And the full gospel of deliverance from all sin will not be experienced or proclaimed and Jesus will not come. Yes. And, you know, Ellen White wrote about this in Christ's Object Lessons, page 296. Mm, it says, The Lord desires through his people to answer Satan's charges by showing the results of obedience to right principles. So here, Ellen White's agreeing with the Bible, exactly mm. exactly what Paul said and what Peter says and what James said, what they all said. And um, the Lord desires through his people to answer Satan's charges by showing the results of obedience to right principles. And again, in, what about in the Desire of Ages, page 671? It says, The very image of God is to be reproduced in humanity. The honor of God, the honor of Christ, is involved in the perfection of the character of his people. Now, a lot of people mm. are going to say, that's sinless perfection, yes. Etienne. Yeah. But what I think people misunderstand what actually, and make accusation, what actually sinless perfection is. Hmm. It's not claiming to be perfect, yes, is it? It's not saying that we don't have a sinful nature because the Bible is clear. We will have a sinful nature until Jesus returns. Mm. Flesh will always be with us. That's right. It's That's not what we deny continually by the grace of God and through the cross of Christ. Yeah, it's not saying that, but it's talking mm. about character. Our characters can be transformed yeah. into God's character. It's talking about th- our thoughts and our feelings, yeah. so the heart and the mind. Now, this is what she's saying. And this is why in mercy, I believe, God has given a serious warning and called to Laodicea. The reason is the church has not yielded herself to Christ to the fullest extent so that Christ alone is mm. seen in the church. Yes. 
And when Christ is fully seen 100% in his church, then his purpose will be fulfilled and Jesus will return. And, you know, and Ellen White just wrote this beautiful statement in Christ's Object Lessons, page 69, about what Jesus is waiting for. Mm. What, did she, what did she say? And this is an explanation of the parable of the, of the seed being sown mm. and how it grows and germinates. She says, Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. Wow, so longing unpa- desire. So he's waiting for the first thing we see. He's waiting mm. with longing desire for what? For the manifestation of himself in his church. What's another way of saying that? Manifestation of himself in his church. Christ in you, the mystery of godliness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ to be seen in us. And then she goes on. What does she say? When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people. So whose character? The character of Christ. Is it us reproducing the character of Christ or Christ's character reproduced? In his people This is a big it, difference It's God doing the work He's the one reproducing yeah. it at us our, our thing is to cooperate with God And to, to get out of the way yes. To die to self So when the character of Christ Shall be perfectly reproduced in his people What will happen? Then he will come to claim them as his own That's what he's waiting for mm. And do you think Satan knows this? Yes So what's he going to do? Well he's going to oppose statements like that isn't he? Exactly He's going to bring in the Omega apostasy mm. Which is The law cannot be kept and victory over sin cannot be cannot happen. Mm. And if the church believes that, then Christ has to wait until he has a people who will believe what he said he would do. He would do. Yes, and and I love what Paul says. He he um, refers to this fully sanctifying experience in Jesus Christ when he wrote this in Galatians two verse twenty. This is how Paul saw it happen. He says, yes. "I am crucified with Christ." Nevertheless, I live, so Paul's still living, mm. still alive, yet not I. Mm. See, self was dead. The old man was dead. It, it was crucified with Christ. Remember, we, we spoke about that last week in Romans chapter 6. Yes. Go and read Romans chapter 6. You can see that is the goal. Mm. But he says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Mm. And the life which I now live in the flesh... See, he's still in the flesh. Yes. He still has a sinful nature, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm. What an incredible promise. Yes. Beautiful. What a credible promise. So and the whole the whole issue with the great controversy between Christ and Satan, just to summarize that, has to do with the law of God. Satan wanted to be like the most high. In other words, he wanted to be like God. And the law of God, God's constitution said you shall have no other gods before me. He then, to achieve his goals and objects, he tries to overthrow God's government by overthrowing the constitution. And his attack has not ceased. He still wants to do that. So then he says it's impossible for anybody to keep the law of God because he demonstrated in his own life that he wasn't keeping the law anymore. Mm. He got a third of the angels to agree with him. He came here to earth, and then he deceived our first parents. Mm -hmm. He got them to sin contrary to the word of God. Yep. He actually offered them the same the same uh, temptation that, that came to him. He said, you will be like God. And they, therefore, when they actually gave into that temptation, it was giving into the violation of the first commandment as well. You shall have no other gods before me. Which, which has been the very purpose or the great controversy mm. is being that Satan's purpose to overthrow the law of God. Yes. Because the law of God says that you should have no other gods before him. Amen. But Satan wanted worship. Yeah. So he has to do away with that. 
So he then does anything he can to undermine that first commandment. He even gets graven images. He even has people having relics, even whether it be of saints, because God says, no, don't make any images of what is in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. Don't bow down before them. Don't worship them. And then um, that's that's the second commandment. Yeah. And then, of course, we can easily take the name of the Lord in, in vain as well. That's the third commandment. And the fourth one in regards to worshiping God is the day set aside as a memorial of his creative power and his redemptive power. Let's attack that. I yeah. mean, isn't it incredible? And, and, you know, God knew that he would do it. Yes. And he wrote it in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, he talks about this antichrist power, this this church power, political church power that would think to change God's Times and laws. His laws, yes. And so that's happened. So mm. the law has been changed from what? The fourth commandment, which is on what? Keep the seventh day seventh holy. Day, yes. To the first day. That's right. So he, he's, you know, we're fulfilling prophecy when we do that. Mm. God said through Daniel that this is what the Antichrist power would do. This is what Satan would do, undermine God's law. So he gets a group, one group to either, it's been done away with. Yes. So we have what? Well, I've got them yeah. deceived. Mm-hmm. So he's got them. Another group, okay, it hasn't been a done way with, but let's change the law. That's right. All right. Or let's even remove one, remove the second commandment out of the Ten Commandments, mm. add, split the ten into two, mm. and make the fourth commandment the third commandment. Yes, that's so, right. So he's done that that deception there. Mm. Then he comes finally to comes to a people who say, hey, no, we want to upload the whole Ten Commandments, including the fourth commandment, all right? And he goes to make war on those people. It says in Revelation chapter 12, those who keep the commandments of God, including the fourth commandment, yes. and have the faith of Jesus. Well, how does he do that? Well, what he does that, he comes in and says, hey, yeah, oh, yeah, you're not going to you know, do away the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment, but you know what? It's impossible to keep them. Mm. And victory over sin is impossible. Yeah, we can admire them. We can proclaim them, but we can't keep them. So do you see how he's attacked each group? Mm. He doesn't care how he does it. No. In the result is the is the same in the end, isn't it? Exactly the same. Well, dear listener, we're just in the middle of our study. We're just going to take a break and come back right after this message. Stay tuned. sample of the song Does Jesus Care played by Henry Higgins visit 3abnaustralia.org.au to purchase his CD Near to the Heart Dear listener, welcome back we are studying the Amigo Apostasy and it's based on the book by Pastor Dennis Smith 50 Days Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Return so we've been, we, we spoke about the Alpha and we're talking about the Amiga and the important messages that God is sending through to us in essence what we are saying is Satan has continued his warfare that he started in heaven he got thrown out Michael and his angel fought won the victory and Satan was cast out and he's continued the same warfare against God God's constitution which is his law 
he has found a variety of ways to actually make it of no effect. So if you do not believe the law and you think it's been done away with, he's happy with you. If you start modifying the law somewhat, he's happy with you. If you say, well, look, the law is still valid, but it just cannot be kept, he's happy with you as well. All those elements simply go to undermine God and his constitution, his law. So, Colin, what are we discussing in the second part of this program? Well, we're going to discuss what's called the mystery of God. I don't know. I like mysteries. Likewise. I've always liked reading uh, (laughs) mysteries. I'm always wanting to know mysteries. And in the book of Revelation, it tells us that the last work of God, what the last work God will do in this church, is to finish the mystery of God. Mm. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. It says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, The mystery of God should be finished as he had declared it unto his servants, the prophets. That's right. And we also know that the sounding of the seventh trumpet is the announcement of Christ's return. So just before Jesus returns, right, just in the voice of the seventh angel, when it began to sound, it says the mystery of God should be finished Hmm. as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Now, what is this mystery of God? I want to know what that and the great news is is that the Bible tells us. And we go to Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-five to twenty-seven, that and you know, we want to know that mm. what the what this finishing or this mystery of God is God's last work in this earth is so important that we understand what the mystery of God is. And Paul tells us. What does he tell us? Well, you know, it's a funny thing of human nature that, you know, whenever you tell someone it's a secret or they're not allowed to know it, then we want to know it, don't we? Yeah. So do you want to know the mystery, what the mystery of God is out there, <laughs> listeners? We're going to tell you what that mystery is. Okay. So Paul says, of which I became a minister. I'm reading from verse 25 in Colossians chapter 1. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations. Okay, so the generation that can figure this out is actually a blessed generation because they they have a mystery understanding of the mystery which no one had before. It says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So according to Paul, the mystery of God is Christ in you mm. And it's our only hope of glory Amen Of glorifying God by reflecting the character of Christ Which is Christ's obedience to God's law By which the earth will be enlightened with the glory Or God's character Because God's glory is his character Yes The glory of God Revelations 18 verse 1 Talks about something that's going to happen Right before Jesus comes it's going to say that this glory of God is going to open, it's going to come upon this earth. Mm. And uh, it's incredible. In verse 1, you want to read verse 1 of Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. It says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Mm. So, God's glory is going to light up this earth. Yes. And we discovered that God's glory is his character. Yes, it is. How do I know that? Because Moses asked mm. God, 
He said, show me your glory. And that's in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33 and verse 18, I think they call it. Yes, it says that. And he said, please show me your glory. And he said, that is God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. The word proclaim there is actually a word that says to preach or to present or to publicize the name of the Lord. And the word name there is Shem in the Hebrew and the Shem means character. There you go. So reputation, so, character, and then and it goes on. I'll let all my goodness pass before you. Is mm. that a character trait of God? Amen. This yeah. is what God says. We and know what that else God is good say? and merciful. It says, um, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So right there, he's explaining his character. Amen. So his goodness and his name is his character. Mm. God's name and has compassionate. And what else does he say? Okay, he says, but you cannot see my face, for no man can see my face, or see me and live. Now, we know in the Revelation chapter 22, that says that they'll see his face and the name of his father will be on their forehead. So that's a restoration, but the restoration will take place as we're discussing regarding this mystery. Just before Jesus comes. Yeah. And then it's, uh, Moses was told to cut out two tables of stone like the first ones and to bring them up because the first stones were obviously broken when they were worshiping the golden calf. Satan had somehow infiltrated God's people at Mount Sinai, and within 40 days after receiving the commandments, they had other gods before them. Satan, mm. who's the one who wants to overthrow God's government and to have the one with, you know, the commandments that talk about God and saying they should have no other gods, he did that. So then Moses breaks those commandments. He then is told by God to cut out another two like the first, and then he says to come up, and then God will meet with him on the mountain. Now, when he comes up to the mountain with those second set of tablets for God to rewrite the law on those tablets, it says there, now the Lord, in verse 5 of Exodus 34, now the Lord ascended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The proclaim is, to, is obviously to, to publicize or to preach in the name of the Lord, which is the character of God. And it says, the Lord passed before me and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And it says, so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Did you notice right there that God, explaining what his glory was, mm. was his character? Yes. And then he gives a written transcript of his character in the Ten Commandments written on that stone. And he does it in reverse. And then he also says it's to do with his name. Now, yes. you know, do you find it interesting in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, when we go to Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, here it talks about the 144,000, mm. right, symbolically God's people standing on Mount Zion with him, and it says they have the Father's name written on their foreheads. Yes. Well, it, but in Hebrews chapter 8 and 10, it says God wants to write his law, law on our mind and foreheads. Mm. And you go back in Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, and verses 3, when it talks about, you know, there's this picture or this vision John has, and it's and it's an answer to a question in Revelation chapter 6, who can actually stand the day of Jesus coming, mm. the wrath of his come? Who's able to stand? Because everyone's hiding in the mountains and the rocks That's right. when Christ comes, hiding from his glory. Interesting. Mm. And it says here there's four angels are actually holding back all these winds of strife. 
And it says, what are they waiting for? He says, look, wait. Uh, Do not harm the earth and sea. This is verse 3. Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their where? On their foreheads. Yes. Yes. And again, this angel has a seal of the living God. And it's to the 144,000. Then in Revelation 14, it tells you the seal of God, right, is his name. Yes. They have their father's name written on their foreheads. Well, where in the Ten Commandments do you find God's name? What commandment will you find God's name? When you have his name, um, his title, and his jurisdiction, you only find that in the Fourth Commandment. Which is in the Sabbath. That's right, yeah. So really, the seal of God has something to do with the Sabbath. Mm. It's amazing. And so it's written on our mind. So the seal of God, the glory of God, God's law, his name, uh, character, all are one and the same. And was demonstrated that in Jesus. It's incredible because when when he asks to see God's glory, how does how does God respond to Moses' request? Please show me your glory. Mm. He says, "I'll make all my goodness pass before you." But not only that, he says, "And I will proclaim the name of the Lord." So in other words, he will proclaim God's character, what he's really like. And then he says, it talks about his graciousness, his compassion. And the interesting thing is, when you look at it and you analyze what Jesus, sorry, what what God said. To Moses when he passed before him And proclaimed the name of the Lord In Exodus 34 from verse 6 It talks about the Lord, the Lord Merciful and gracious, long-suffering And abounding in mercy and truth That is actually a quote of out of the second commandment Because God refers to himself in the same way there If you look at verse 6 of Exodus 20 for example It says that I am the God that shows mercy To thousands of those who love me And keeps my commandments So he shows himself there as a merciful God And he talks about love there but before that, he says that I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Mm. So he contrasts hate and love there. But here we see that it's actually flipped in reverse. He starts with his mercy and graciousness first. And then after he talks about keeping mercy for thousands in Exodus 34 and verse 7. Uh, he talks about not clearing the guilty and then visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. Wow. So we actually see there when he proclaims his character, he's actually quoting the second commandment to a certain extent. Yes. And remember, mm. we looked at Revelation 18, verse 1, where it talks about God's glory lighting up this earth. Mm. All right. And interesting, there's another message that goes out. And interesting, it's a repeat of the third angel's message mm. of Revelation chapter 14. Yes. It goes on in verse 2 and says, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Mm. For all the nations, yes, not just some, yes, it says, All the nations had drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So it's talking about her. Babylon is a church. Yes. Okay. Right. It's a mother. It talks about in Revelation 17. 17 yeah. It's a mother of churches mm, and it has mm. daughters. Yes. And, uh, you know, wrath of a fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. So, the, so it talks about, looks like political and religions are getting together. And also, also, so as the business people of the world have got together because it says, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Mm. So the world's got rich through it, through. Economically as well Then there's this call And it says in verse 4 And I heard another voice from heaven saying Come out of her my people Yes So what does that tell you? Where are most of God's people? 
They were in Babylon. Yeah. Unless you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. This is okay. talking about the last plagues that are going to pretty well destroy this earth mm. when Jesus comes. For her sins are reached to heaven, for God has remembered her iniquities. Just amazing. Like, and I love what, um, you know, the great controversy, Ellen White talks about this in pages 382 and 383. She says, that great city Babylon is further declared to be that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Revelation 17 verse 4 and 6 and 18. Right. The power that for so many centuries maintained despotic sway over the monarchs of Christendom is Rome. Mm. So Babylon is Rome. Uh, Babylon is said to be the mother of harlots by her daughters must be symbolized by churches that cling to her doctrines and traditions and follow her example of sacrificing the truth and the approval of God in order to form an unlawful alliance with the world. Mm. And, but here in Verification, it's saying most of the people are in Babylon. Yes. So it's saying God's people are there, but he's saying come out of it and receive the truth of God's word. Mm. So when we look at this, it says, according to Paul, the mystery of God is Christ in you, and the only hope of, of glory or glorifying God by reflecting the character of Christ, which is Christ's obedience to God's law, by which the earth will be enlightened, remember Revelation 18, yes. with his character, mm. the mystery of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel of deliverance from sin. Yes. It is Christ's perfect obedience to God's law revealed in one's life. Mm, that is beautiful. Now, as, as you were reading that, I was just thinking, we can expect a further deterioration in regards to what happens on this earth, both politically, because it says all the um, nations of the earth will wander after the beast. There's the political and also nations. we can see, uh, expect a deterioration even in the church. Yes. Because it will become so bad that God says, if you stay in that apostate church, which is referred to as Babylon, you will receive of her plagues because you will be participating in her sins. Therefore, God in his mercy says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Because the plagues are poured out because of the sins of this apostate, uh, this apostate church. Now, it's interesting. If that's going to be what? the condition of the, the, the world, do we read in the Old Testament, a prophecy concerning the condition of the world at that time when God's glory is revealed. And we do. We, we see that in Isaiah chapter 60. Mm. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 2 explains how dark it will be in a spiritual sense on this earth. It says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. So here we see prophesied the condition of darkness and deep darkness regarding the spiritual condition of the church, where it says that they have become the habitation of demons, and God calls his people out. During that darkest hour spiritually on this earth, God will have his glory seen upon his people. And verse 1 of the same thing, Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So Revelation 18, what you're saying is there's going to be this call of God's people to come out of Babylon and mm. the daughters you know, of, 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 this, of, of Babylon yes. who are following the same teachings. Mm. All right. One, Commandments have been done away with. Commandments have been changed. God's law has been changed. Mm. All God's law cannot be kept, and sin cannot be overcome. And so so you see the mystery of God, the wisdom of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the means God has provided for our salvation. 
our deliverance from sin. Mm. So the justification God provided in Christ frees us from the guilt and penalty of sin, doesn't it? It does. You know, we're mm. guilty. And the penalty of sin is death. death. Right. So the justification God provided in Christ frees us from the guilt and penalty of sin, which is death. Mm. And covers us with Christ's imputed righteous obedience to God's law. It's interesting to me that you know, the warfare that, that started by Lucifer in heaven, wanting to be like God, and his warfare on God's God's commandments. He continues that, you know. And the apostle Paul in First Timothy chapter four and verse one talks about what will happen in the last days. It says, "Now the Spirit, so that's the Holy Spirit, expressly." So this is without contradiction. Expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now the doctrines of demons is the doctrines of of Satan. That's right. Same doctrine, contrary to God's commandments. And any doctrine that leads you away to say that God's law's been done away with, or God's law cannot be kept, mm. goes against what the Word of God says, doesn't it? Amen. That's right. And so, and the promise of God that He would do that, He will do this through us, through Christ living in us. Mm. And so here we have, you know, also the sanctification God provides in Christ is His imparted righteousness. Yes, which frees us from the power of sin mm. to rule in our life and leads to obedience to God's commandments. So we have the justification that God provided in Jesus frees us from the guilt and penalty of sin. Mm which is death, and covers us with Christ's imputed righteous obedience to God's laws, his obedience to God's law. The sanctification God provides in Christ is his imparted righteousness, which frees us from the power of sin to rule in our life and leads to obedience to God's commandments. It's very clear to me that sanctification and justification all work together. Because even in justification, as we discussed in the previous program, when we have died with Christ and we've been raised with him, we have been set free from the power of sin. So sanctification, which is the work of a lifetime, is simply then God imparting his righteousness through to us because we have been delivered from sin through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That's right. For we have been sanctified or set aside by God for good works. Mm. For we, It says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, doesn't it? That's it's, right. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, good works. which mm. God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And these good works are works of faithful obedience to God's law, law Amen. of love. Mm. That's why this Omega Posse is so dangerous. Mm. When received, it thwarts God's very purpose for the church. It keeps individuals in Laodicea and leads many of God's professed people to rise up against the Laodicea message, calling it error, mm. and causes those deceived to be shaken from amongst God's remnant people and not be ready for Christ's return. You know, Satan knows he cannot lead Adventists to outright reject the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath. Yes, that's true. So he leads them to believe the next best thing. Hmm. The commandments cannot be kept. Hence, those who believe the Omega deception are led to reject the clear injunctions in the Bible that cause the Christian to live a victorious life through Jesus Christ. Amen. And this deception will be so strongly believed that people will actually rise up against the truth. Mm. People within the church will rise up against this. Mm. And Ellen White wrote about this in the Review and Herald, May 27, 1890. 
What does it, says, it say? Okay, it says the third angel's message will not be comprehended. The light which will lighten the earth with its glory will be called a false light by those who refuse to walk in its advancing glory. Wow. You remember that God's glory is his character, character. Mm. which will lighten the earth through his people. Remember in Revelation 18 verse 1. Yep. And so also remember that God's law is a transcript of his character. Yes, amen. So God's last remnant people will be growing in Christ from glory to glory by the Spirit. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that as we behold Jesus, as we lift up Jesus and look unto Jesus, it says the Spirit changes us from glory to glory. Yes. This is character transformation. Mm. And so by the Holy Spirit. So they'll be growing in obedience to God's commandments via Christ living out his imparted righteous obedience in and through them. And those who accept the Omega Posse teaching will be call this a false light. Mm. You know, you'll get caught sinless perfectionism yeah. if you say that you can obey God's commandments. You know, and victory over sin is possible through Christ. You'll be get they'll be calling you out. That's right. But let's look, listen to what Ellen White says. In the Southern Review, December 5, 1899. She says exact obedience is required, and those who say it is not possible to live a perfect life throw upon God the imputation of injustice and untruth. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Very strong. Wow. You know, and she's saying that there's many statements that God God expects his people to lead an obedient life. The good news is, is that we let Christ live in live out his life in and through us, he will Lead us to obey God's law. Amen. Well, he, it's only his life that can answer the demands of the law, which is perfect obedience. But he's willing to give us his righteousness. So let's read again in the Review and Herald, July 15th, 1890. Ellen White wrote these words. So God requires at this moment just what he required of Adam in paradise before he fell. Perfect obedience to his law. The requirements that God makes in grace is just the requirements he made in paradise. Just like John said, if you love me... Keep my commandments. Just like Paul said, do we then make void the law of God? No, no we uphold the law of God. We establish the law. Just like right. James says, it's the royal law. Mm. You know, so, you know, right throughout, you know, Jesus says, you know, the law is written on my heart. I love thy law. You know, wrote about in Psalms about it, about Jesus and, the, and, his, and God's law. And what about in Christ's Object Lessons, page 282? What does it say there? It says, Consider the life of Christ standing at the head of humanity, serving his Father. He is an example of what every son should and may be. The obedience that Christ rendered, God requires from human beings today. Wow. So there's some strong statements there. Very strong. That the obedience of Christ to his Father was the same obedience that is required of man. Man cannot overcome Satan's temptations without divine power combined with his instrumentality. So with Jesus Christ, he could lay hold of divine power. Mm. He came not to our world to give the obedience of a lesser God to a greater, but as a man to obey God's holy law. And in this way, he is our example. The Lord Jesus came to our world not to reveal what God could do, but what man could do through faith in God's power to help in every emergency. Mm. Amen. Man is through faith to be a partaker in divine nature and to overcome every temptation wherewith he is beset. That's from our High Calling, page 48. And again, let's read what um, 
Christian Experience and Teachings of Ellen G. White on page 113. We're just trying to make a point here. Uh, what does she say there? says, I saw that none could share the refreshing unless they obtained the victory over every besetment, over pride, selfishness, love of the world, and over every wrong word and action. Wow. So the refreshing is talking about the latter reign of the Holy Spirit mm. because uh, Peter speaks about that as well in Acts chapter 3, this refreshing, the latter reign. And again, what about this one in Desire of Ages, page 123? says, The prince of this world cometh, said Jesus, and have nothing in me. There was in him nothing that responded to Satan's sophistry. He did not consent to sin, not even by a thought did he yield to temptation. So it may be with us. Christ's humanity was united with divinity. He was fitted for the conflict by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he came to make us partakers of the divine natures. So long as we are united to him by faith, sin has no more dominion over us. God reaches for the hand of faith in us to direct it to lay fast hold upon the divinity of Christ that we may attain to perfection of character. She's almost quoting like Peter and Paul there, isn't she? Paul Mm. in Romans 6 and Peter saying that we can have the divine nature. And I just want to finish with this one here. This one here in manuscript page 161, uh, written in 1897. He who has not sufficient faith in Christ to believe that he can keep him from sinning has not the faith that will give him entrance in the kingdom of God. Well, that's a powerful statement there, isn't it, Eddie? Very powerful statement to close the second part of our program. Dear listener, we're just going to take a break, share our contact details, and we'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to You Shall Receive Power with Colin Hone and Etienne McClintock. And Colin, just to wrap up our discussion today, can you perhaps just put those in a few words for us? Well, we just wrote some, uh, read some incredible statements and uh, those who accept the Omega posse must reject or ration away these statements, mm. as well as her counsel, Ellen White's counsel regarding living without a mediator when the judgment ends. Now, Ellen White describes those living without a mediator during the time of trouble in the following way. She says, So in the time of trouble, if the people of God had unconfessed sins to appear before them while tortured with fear and anguish, talking about Revelation 13, the time of trouble, they would be overwhelmed. Despair would cut off their faith. And they could not have confidence to plead with God for deliverance. But while they have a deep sense of their unworthiness, mm. right? They're not claiming to be, you know, perfect or anything. They have no concealed wrongs to reveal. They've confessed their sins. Their sins have gone beforehand to the judgment and have been blotted out. Wow. According to what Peter said in Acts chapter mm, three. Praise God. That your sins will be blotted out. And they cannot bring them to remembrance. That's in the Great Controversy, page six hundred and twenty. It's a beautiful way to close our program today, dear listener. We pray that God will bless you as you continue to study and allow the Spirit of God to work in your life. And we look forward to catching up with you next time. God bless.
You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.